0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, Today's topic will once again continue our trend of revealing more and more about how the cake is made, as it were. Um, My two guests have massive experience in game production, and I figured, why not shed some light on how we're approaching creating Ember Sword through a game production standpoint? Guests, of course, are Lauren, who you're very familiar with. Say hi. Hey, everyone. And a first-time guest of the podcast, Alan. Why don't you tell the good folks who you are and what you do on Embersword?
1: Yep. Hello, everyone. My name is Alan Kirkeby, and I am a producer and helping project management and team management on Embersword. I have a background from the computer industry starting back in the 90s where I was a, an executive producer in a game company. We did like 50 games of the medium sized thing. And then I later I became the CEO at Unity Studios. And in the beginning, we also were involved with helping to build up the Unity technology. But later we ended up working both inside the games industry and, and with uh, you know, major companies like Procter & Gamble outside of the industry on huge productions and so on.
0: Nice cool well succinct i appreciate that um before we get into the details on Ember Sword itself i want to ask you guys what you consider game production sort of a definition for the people out there
1: okay i can start <laughs> game production is um mo- mostly project management but then of course um there's always this uh, difference between, you know, people confused between what you define as a producer in movies versus what you consider a producer in games. And there is sometimes both are used. Yeah, in, mo- crossover. In, movie- yeah in movies, it's it's more about money management and so on. Um, in games, it's, it's a lot more with, with project management, in my opinion anyway. But then you also have like an executive producer who is more to do with money management and so on um but yeah it's it's very much um kind of having an overview of all the parts that go into building a game and making sure they fit together being aware of pitfalls in the future trying to avoid that you run into problems by predicting whatever could happen and helping the team to you know removing obstacles for team members so that they can focus on building uh the game and doing their you know nitty-gritty tasks of programming and doing graphics work and so on
2: yeah yeah Yeah, i think you know the the indeed it's true that the role of executive producer can and producer as well can sometimes be a bit nebulous and sometimes some of these fields start overlapping like you know if i look for example at what I'm doing at at Ember Sword as an executive producer, uh, my area, although you know, obviously, I'm involved in some financial matters, it also lies a lot more with the product and and the game vision uh, as well. So you might say there's almost like a sort of game director slash designer cap right involved with that role here Uh, so i think we also take our our level of liberties with it but in the end of course yeah production is also about making sure a really great product gets out and all of the mechanisms needed to actually get it out there and get it done which can be hugely complicated and i'm sure we'll be talking about that more during this session you know they're all part of that
1: yeah i agree i mean there's i think probably depending on the size of the company and and my experience with different sizes of companies is that the larger your company gets and once you get over 100 people you end up having very specifically defined roles whereas in a in a growing company like Bright Star and Embersword and, and everyone around it, it's I, I define it more as you know all of these tasks need to be solved and we need to assign people and I define it as hats. So you take on hats yes, and, yes, and yes, as yes. the team grow, you kind of give maybe sometimes you're wearing like 15 different hats and as the team grows and you, you either can afford or we need we, we find a need for additional specialists, we then take off some of those generalist hats and put them on the specialist and they take on those roles and then everyone gets more and more specialized. But for now, I think it's it's a bit fluid because if, if one of us or someone else on the team notices an issue, it needs to be dealt with um, by the one who has available hands at that time. Yeah, um, yeah.
2: extreme ownership, if you will. Yeah. But I, I really like the, the hats comparison. I, I always talk about roles versus functions, right? So normally you have like, oh, we're the company, here's your function profile, you do exactly this. And, and here at Embersword, it's more like, well, there's a whole bunch of roles that need fulfilling. And you might at any point have three or four roles. And I think another really great analogy from like sort of the startup world that I used to use a lot also when we're in conversation. I mean, right now we're growing really fast. We're hiring a lot of people. I tend to have these conversations about building with many colors of Lego bricks. And we say, well, when you start here, we're gonna give you like four or five different colors of Lego bricks, those are your roles. And you're gonna use those to build the best tower you possibly can, but you have to realize when you're joining Brightstar, is we're growing so fast, very soon there's going to be specialization. So I'm going to come by, and I'm going to take away all your blue bricks. And now, you know, you just have to use the red and the green and the yellow bricks to build the best possible tower. And this is going to go on until you're left only with red bricks, because that's the thing you're most epic at. And, and this is kind of the process of building a team like that. So it's super
0: interesting, and also quite rewarding, I think, to be there in those early phases. Well, speaking of the team, uh, can you guys go into what the... Day to day activities are like what it's like managing a team that's so you know spread out, decentralized. How the team works, things of that nature.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, a lot of it happens online, and we have team members in many different uh, countries. Um, and you know, the COVID was kind of a COVID situation was kind of a a, a boon it was no we don't like covid right we don't like the like, illness but <laughs> it's
2: good that you clarified statement, that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people might clarify. be getting the wrong id
1: <laughs> no but it it i think for many it especially decentralized it teams it kind of became this thing yeah we've been doing this for a while but now it's something everyone does and now it's the only way to go and i think going from to be honest when i joined initially it was a Sometimes a bit frustrating that people were in different time zones. Obviously, I've worked with that my entire career. But it's always a bit frustrating when you have to wait for someone in the United States or in Australia to get out of bed. And you have to align meetings. But now with the COVID, that was just the way things were. And everyone was more willing to align with that. So um, that was kind of a long story to say that this is how we, we work. This is how we w- always worked on the team. And I think it works quite Quite well now, and we've become better over time at managing it. Um, it also means that a lot of meetings uh, are using digital tools for, like, digital whiteboards and digital mind mapping, and and you know, uh, all kinds of mapping sheets, spreadsheets, and all that stuff. Where in many meetings, if you have a sprint meeting, you would have like a real physical whiteboard. Um, so that changes the dynamic a bit. Um, but it's it's something we're coping with that being said i am uh, we're building towards having more larger uh, groups in central office locations because that that way of working on specific tasks is is sometimes beneficial
2: yeah i think we're looking to find sort of a happy medium there are some activities which are really nice to do when you can join together behind a whiteboard but yet, at the same time, I, I think it's probably also important to kind of touch on that cultural aspect that has been a part of Sword pretty much since we founded, you know, Bright Brightstar. Um, and, and that is indeed this remote team, because, you know, even the founding team is, in some cases, from even different continents altogether, right? Yeah, uh, and even
1: now, you and I, we are all sitting in different locations, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, in this talk, so... And this is, this is um, I guess you could call it, it's the modern way of uh, running a company, is that all this modern technology means that it, you don't have, to be successful, you don't have to have everyone in the same office.
2: Oh, I would almost say that it's becoming a criterion to not do that. Like if I rewind back, right, for me, it's, it's maybe a little different because when I was like 11 and I got into modding and total conversions, you know that was like i was age 12 and there was a team of 20 people and we were working together and no one was in the same location and we built a total conversion for the common conquer series that was like played by three million people right so for me it's it's logical to do that but it is very you know it, it it has its share of benefits in the sense that you have a global talent pool you can bring anyone in i mean right now obviously we're ramping up really quickly we brought in Actually, just now we we hired uh, a good friend of mine, and he's in Hawaii, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, And 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 yeah, it's Damien. And and actually, I the first game I worked on with Damien, he was 14 and I was 16. We're talking 20 years ago. And and we can just bring that talent in and tap that, right? You know. One yeah, of the that's most... very
1: in- interesting. Is that I also have a long history in the games industry and. I know when back when back when I started it was like I was in the something called the demo scene was like this subculture in the 90s where we worked on Commodore Amigas and so on but many of those people are still in the games industry and were the early people behind IO Interactive doing Hitman and there was a lot of Nordic and Swedish companies stemming from that even DICE you know uh, uh, are doing that and and I think it's you know, people back then were had to travel abroad to to live in that office and I, I still think that's a good way to to go, but I think um, being able to bring people together based on the enthusiasm for a game uh, and even though they are not able to move uh, makes it easier to find the right people uh, for for any given situation because that yeah. was a barrier before. Before, exactly. when you had to bring people there, there were certain people you just couldn't get on your team because they had family and, and kids in that school or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. But that being said, I, I think uh, the way we run uh, the production is, is, is pretty fairly traditional with, you know, sprint planning and task breakdowns and so on. Um, it's, just all being, it's just all happening online uh, through online meetings.
2: Yeah, in the end the development process doesn't change drastically it's just it's happening through a different medium
0: i uh, speaking of the development process actually um i want to go a bit into that since you guys have done in some capacity traditional game development how does building ember sword differ from that what are the quirks of the development itself that's a There's good a question there
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to unpack. I mean, I think, first of all, we probably have to realize we're building an MORPG and uh, that, generally speaking, is already a different beast <laughs> from most other game productions. I mean, when you're doing a regular game, right, uh, even a nice AAA title, there's already a, a factor of... Uh, sort of building the ship while you're flying it. It's not live, it's not operational, but you do have to do things like finding the fun and the design that you start out with, that's a nice piece of paper, but not, might not be what you finally end up with because you're finding out along the way, you know, what works and what doesn't. And, and with an MMO, well, you know, you take that, and multiply it by 10, uh, that's at least definitely one of the, I, I would say, uh, differences that we're faced with when making something like that.
1: Yeah, I think at, and also another thing is you know, building technology while uh, building and designing a game um, is another factor that's added on top of that. And then having all the, the crypto stuff and also designing a game that is fun to play and mapping out a world, but also making sure that all the all the things that, that you buy, all the land lots and so on, are also stuff that you can explore and walk around in. And making that part of the game while at the same time giving the people who, who bought something a feeling of ownership of this and that location. Um, all of this goes into making this uh, a quite complicated build. And I think a lot of these things, you know, I've, I've been involved with building games that were, were running uh, bespoke and, and homemade technology, and yeah. the technology was being built as we built the game. Yep. So sometimes we didn't even know how we would even render something. Um, yep. <laughs> So, I've tried that. I've also tried building very big online games uh, where you have multiple people. I've not re- I've, to be honest, I've not been involved with something like World of Warcraft, I, something huge yeah, like yeah. that, but I have been involved with um, uh, what was it called? This uh, Cartoon uh, Networks. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. yeah. What then. was it? Um,
2: the, the, the fusion thing. Uh, yeah, Fusionfall. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, I have been involved with all of these things, but then now combining all of that together. Uh, just makes it uh, both very interesting, but also very much like, as you mentioned, building the ship while we're trying to sail across the ocean. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And you, you make a great point, indeed, because this is like combining all of those things into one. Because we have our own, you know, you have the networking concerns that come with an MMO and, and the whole infrastructure and technology for that and then we have this oh yeah we also wanted to load in two seconds in the browser and it's doing that but still you know in order to deliver all of that you have to build the technology while you're also building the game and yeah that throws And up it's some interesting very much
1: an, i mean it's it's kind of a um, it's maybe a little bit lame to say it's an iterative process it's kind of a buzzword thing but it it's very much how how we we must build this thing it's kind of like Building up something, making sure it works at this scale, uh, combining it with this and that element, uh, improving the, ele- the engine, the rendering part of the engine here. But we also have the networking part of the engine, and we also have the crypto part of the stuff that needs to be yeah. built together. And then Physics gradually, and
2: special effects, yeah, uh, and iteratively uh, moving
1: stuff. moving forwards each time. Uh, kind of verifying, yes, it works like this. Yes, it's it's also fun like this. Yes, it also uh, looks good like this. And then building on top of that. And once every time we've verified something, we know okay, this system can handle this kind of thing. And now we can start branching out the design elements that will be using that system. So it is very much like kind of gradually unfolding the stuff. And of course, we have this kind of image of this this the game as a huge like sketch. But then kind of, it's kind of like, I'm now using the wrong term, paint <laughs> by numbers. But we've kind of drawn a sketch. It's not paint by numbers. It's our own drawing, right? But we've kind of sketched yeah. out the thing. But now we are gradually filling in the base colors one step at a time to flesh it out. And once we start coloring, eventually we'll do shading and so on. That's a bad an- analogy, but it's kind of <laughs> the best I could come up uh-huh. with.
0: My my vision of that is more like a, a spiral, where you know it starts small and it expands ever more into something bigger, but always at a manageable pace.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's there are many different images we can use for that, but it's <laughs> yeah, it's basically building one thing at a time, and it's that's the process we're we are working with uh, right now, and trying to also uh, add a way where it makes sense to show things as we move along in in the sense and and to be honest i i try to to stay out of that and just make sure focus on we need to build a game and then (laughs) you know i i I talked to to lauren and and other you know marketing team and yeah we would like to show this and that and then we're figuring out what can we show when and is it good enough to show because we also don't want some you know when we work on stuff it sometimes looks bad in the process of building it so we it's kind of like we want to show stuff but we also want to show it so it looks nice at the time yeah, we show it needs right? to be
2: at, at that place where it's ready to be shown and we've we've I think probably done a quite an okay job at being relatively conservative with that uh, which which I think is is, is, is good you know yeah.
0: I've heard the word and Lauren can correct me if I'm pronouncing it wrong but corollary thrown around in terms of the <laughs> the building of the game Can well you go into that a bit what well, that I was mean?
2: I was just saying on the one hand um, you're building the spaceship while you're flying it but on the other hand and, and that might sound a bit weird to some people who are looking at this from the outside but I, I was just pointing out I think when I when I brought that word along that that actually tends to be also the only way to build something this big because you know with something the scope of a massive video game and especially in mmo right you have to kind of do it gradually and uh and and have many stops along the way where you're uh looking back at it and going is is this what we were looking for is this fun is this working the way it's supposed to and then just to look critically at uh at these elements that that you've designed and sometimes it's it's killing your darlings right there is people that start out and this is with any game production that start out with this very strong idea that oh we put this thing on paper so that's now suddenly a feature in the game and i'm super attached to it that's that's like the big feature and then you might find out as as you go in there especially for you know the people who may not particularly be in a designer capacity, but there's lots of enthusiastic people, obviously, also artists, programmers, etc., that all have their own ideas, you know, they, they might sometimes at times find, oh, well, what I thought was going to be the amazing feature is actually something that is detracting from the fun of other parts of the games. So, yeah, sometimes you have to kill your darling, darlings and, and cross some things off to make the overall game a much better experience.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. I think the overall vision right from back when i first uh, got involved is is basically the same i mean on a very high level but the process here has been going through a lot of iterations where at one point we were diving into something that got too hardcore and too detailed and then we had to pull back from that i mean that was maybe one and a half year ago we were iterating on stuff that was too hardcore in terms of the detail of of building up skill trees and all that stuff and we know we had to go there and test it out before we could also realize that we wanted something that was uh, different but also empowering to the player um, so I think that 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 is that is part of of building a game this way I mean Obviously, you could always look at other games and go like, yeah, we do something like they do and they do. But what we want to try and do is make something that ends up being our own. I mean, it it feels like its own thing. I would almost
2: bring up sort of the iceberg analogy because a lot of people, when they see a game and even like when we go into technical testing, when we go into alpha, you know, you're likely to see, uh, there's still a very limited set of features. And and I, I oftentimes look at these kinds of things kind of like an iceberg because most people don't realize how much stuff sort of ends up on the cutting room floor. And I think you strike a really important point there, Alan, for like every bit of functionality that you in the end end up experiencing. It's quite plausible that there were two, three different variations and attempts and things that were done that were scrapped that eventually led to evolving that particular functionality. So a lot of the things that go into a really amazing game are not even things that you see while you're playing it. It's all the stuff that we've gone through and rejected to get to what you're playing. And then even some of the things that you're playing, you know, maybe very early on alpha, might still be stuff that later on will end up being rejected and replaced by something better which which is an amazing process in and of itself but most people don't don't kind of see that and it's kind important
0: of, oh, go on sorry i
2: was going to going to quote maybe the 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 crazy example once you get to the level of a facebook uh, which they have some metrics there if you look at the features that come out for facebook in terms of new features Literally, that's less than 1% of the new features they design and develop make it to actually be deployed towards living human beings outside of the Facebook team. Right? This is one of those examples, and, and I think this is true for any such huge product that you're building.
0: And it is important to mention that um, it, this doesn't happen unless everybody is okay with that notion, and I think we are very fortunate that Pretty much every developer working on the game is okay with letting things go, letting them change, all in the interest of getting things done, which uh, quite eloquently leads me into the next point I wanted to discuss. Uh, the specifics of the development as it relates to the day-to-day. So what what is the day-to-day practices of developing Ember Sword? Any rituals of development we have that you guys can go into?
1: Yeah, I think um, it's... Um... It's actually been changing back and forth depending on what phase we've been in. But generally speaking, we, we run a, a kind of adapted Scrum, which I guess all Scrum is in. And Scrum is just a, a project and time management methodology that comes from the IT industry. Um, for those who don't know, who's listening now? <laughs> um, oh yeah, I'm pretty so, sure there might be some some fans listening there.
2: Like, what what is Scrum? Is that yeah, not a thing scrum, that happens yeah. during a football game when everyone huddles together? <laughs> yeah,
1: scum, uh, scum, Scum, was that? Wasn't that? The, wasn't that the uh, Quest engine from the yes, old Lucasfilm scrum games? <laughs> from
2: yes, exactly from. Um... <laughs> no,
1: I, I, it all originates from the from I think it's like an, a, a football kind of yes, thing. Yes, exactly. Like it's the Scrum where, it, where you get together. You together things, in, yeah. as a team and you talk about what are we going to do now and everyone gets hyped and then we start doing stuff so that's the that's the day-to-day way of running things you, as, you have
2: now made this sound incredibly simplistic so
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah to, but, to, 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 <laughs> broad, to spread it out a bit more it's basically running sprints so sprints is like a, a period of time let's say two or three weeks um, where uh, you plan in detail what is going to happen those in those weeks and then you have like initiate the the sprint with a plan where we're going down to the individual person's work. Not at that time the individual person, but we basically break down a list of everything we need to do. And now we're getting into stuff that most gamers are not even aware yeah, is a thing. Exactly. They, they just they just see like a character running on the screen and they talk about the nice armor loot that they just got. But what we are looking at is we're looking at now you need to model that element and then you need to add a texture on it. And so all of these are broken down into tasks. And then we know that we need to build five shields during this sprint. Or then we need to add like five swords and we need to have some different skins on those swords. And all of these are components that are built. And even by building them, they are not in the game. They are just built as assets that are put on the servers. Obviously there's then another task for a programmer or a designer to add them into the game engine and those tasks also need to be defined and then we plan like a a time budget for let's say we have say we have 20 people working or depending on the site this company has grown over time right so it gets more and more people but we have a number of people working and then we figure out how many tasks can this group of people do in the graphics department, how many tasks can the programmers do? And then uh, we basically get to work once we have that planned. And then on the day to day basis, every day, but it's a bit different from team to team. And this is Mm -hmm. also where the decentralized thing gets into play. It's not about doing it because the system requires it. It's about doing whatever is most effective for that location team. So we have some teams that do the traditional Scrum and the, the Scrum in this process, the, the entire system is called Scrum, but the actual Scrum meeting is a 15 minute meeting every morning where yeah, everyone just huddles together. Up. The stand up and everyone just says, well, did did I what did I do yesterday? Do I know what to do today? And then you drag the tasks. We have a task manage, management system where, Everyone can kind of click on a task and drag it into their, their allotted space where this is now my task, I need to work on it. And then everyone just gets to work. So, yeah, sorry. Maybe yeah. that was a bit oh, boring, but, but that was no, basically no, 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 very it, detailed.
2: That's a detailed description, but it might be good for some people that are you know maybe not familiar with this type of approach to working, although it's becoming more and more common even well outside of IT, I would say, to have like these types of task boards, and everyone knows Trello now. But you can imagine that this actually becomes quite an exciting and fun process, especially when you're talking a large team, and we're starting those two weeks with this massive list of things that we want to accomplish. And throughout the weeks, at every morning meeting, you're finding out, are we still doing good? Is there anything that's holding anyone up, keeping them from accomplishing their goals? And as you go through those two weeks, all these cards are moving from left to right. Eventually, there's a massive amount of things to talk through oh we we accomplished all these things we built all these things over the past two weeks what have we learned how are we going to do that better in the next two weeks and you know a lot that we talk about
1: here is also just getting one percent better right yeah I, I i and i i think i think also one important part of scrum is that something that is sometimes overlooked especially in huge corporation or you know, it's not overlooked but it's something that's very important for for IT projects is especially creative IT pro- is that the developers or graphic artists or anyone stays motivated and this is one of the things i, I see it, scrum has a little bit of gamification in it yeah. in the sense that you visualize the tasks and then you move them across a board so once you start one particular, let's say one task is to a graphic artist needs to create a Graphics for a shield, a shield that you can equip with your character. That shield starts, there's nothing there. So the task is to start modeling, the. or maybe there's a concept art yeah, for or it or the something. the concept art yeah. needs
2: to still be made, right? Sometimes.
1: And then the task moves into the to-do column. And then once the, the task is done, it moves into the verify column. But eventually, it ends up in the column saying done. And let's say that the, the, the sprint has like 100 tasks, just to make it easy to explain. The goal is for everyone on the team to have all of those hundred tasks moved all the way over to done. And that then becomes this kind of achievement thing, gamification, where if everyone kind of ends the sprint with all the tasks over there, which, by the way, happens very rarely in in any kind of teams I've worked with. But sometimes, (laughs) I mean, there's always like two or three stragglers or also because new stuff came up. But once you end up with all of that, you can have this kind of small celebration and everyone on the team kind of feels, you know, we achieved this. It's kind of like in a game when you when you grind your way and you, you first uh, kill this and you collect <laughs> this, and then suddenly you get unlocked achievement. You get yes, this kind yes. of feeling. Um, and it's some of this scrum uh, terminology started, uh, I think, outside of the games industry. So it's not just because games people want to, to work like they play a game, it's actually something you've realized even outside of games in traditional IT that is very important to stay motivated and having these clear visual goals just is, is, is one way to have everyone stay hooked and feel empowered and also take charge of whatever they do. Um, because now it's my responsibility to move this task over there and, and that, that is empowering for people working on the project.
0: That is incredibly well put, actually. That's a very, very good summary of how that works. Um, now to, to bring this home, to land it, here's, here's kind of a big one. When do we consider the game to be done? Never. Never. Uh, (laughs) uh, thanks good night everybody (laughs) yeah that's
2: that's it we're done (laughs) it's a wrap no but i mean realistically of course we're building something rather unique because it's a game with a blockchain component that uh, is expected to have a, a massive lifetime right it's a game that could keep on going and going and going. And we've not seen that before. We've seen games like World of Warcraft that admittedly have a massive lifetime. But something like this could go on much, much longer because it has its own economy and that is powering continued development. You could think about decentralized, uh, governance models where eventually, uh, you know, not, uh, not just a team, but also the community partially becomes an owner of what this is. And f- with that, you can really create something that is going to stand the test of time. So when is it done? Well, we would hope never. Actually, that it will continue evolving and growing and improving, but then there's, you know, obviously the other question, uh, no doubt on everyone's mind, which is, okay, you've got this iterative model, but how does that lead to things making their way into the hands of the players, right? And that's kind of where we, where we kind of have to combine the two, where we have settled on sort of almost a quarterly model of uh, taking all those two-week sprints, for example, and bringing that together into a sort of milestone that we can every quarter push out towards uh, the community, at least starting at a certain point.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's a, it's also a kind of game. I mean, if you look at any game that has many years on its back, it will have like, we call them patches or updates or extra releases and so on. But there's obviously always this first launch date. For many of the in the traditional way of launching games, but you see more and more often that we turn into this, and and I hesitate to use the term, but it's games as a service. I hope no yeah. one out there well, feels negatively about it, but I think it's it's a good thing. It's a positive term. I think it also it's a way
2: sort of early access model, maybe. Yeah. Right?
1: It's it's more so
2: than just a service. I mean, a service would be indeed if it's like a subscription game or, you know, something like an MMO. But it's also early access that you're seeing a lot. Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, we we have like in tradition, you know, traditionally a game would be developed. And then once the the game is is burned on a CD-ROM or a blue disc or whatever, it's a gold master. Then typically the team doesn't do anything more because in the old days you couldn't do patches. But nowadays. Updates can almost happen sometimes daily depending on the type of update so that you also have like live ops teams in most MMO games and so on. So a game like this transitions once you have like a, a, a huge chunk of the core game launched and you have many players in there you also have part of the team transitioning into to this live ops and You know, I I would love to be able to sit here as as the person also in charge of creating and working with the timeline to be able to prompt something, but I I don't want to do that. Um, So it is going to be an iterative process and we will be revealing parts of the game and, and giving it in the hands. You know, it's like any other game. You don't give it to everyone initially. You start out with a smaller segment of, in the old days, you would call it alpha testers. Uh, with with our game because we have people who have purchased land already, we might give chunks to to a select number of people, and that is not to keep people certain people out and put certain people in there. It's also because we need to pressure test what happens when we have so many people in there. Does it break? You know, um, yeah. that is a normal part of building an MMO. Is that we want to make sure that we kind of gradually. Allow more and more, and then we iterate and learn from that test and and then can build out more um, yeah, so that's exactly. the plan and and yes right now the uh, the terminology is these quarterly milestones uh, that yeah, might yeah. be adjusted slightly and and so on, but you know right now we're working mostly on um, solar wood and we're working on building out uh, that world with with quests and so on, and we're building a timeline for that so Hopefully we can be more specific soon. I don't know when.
2: <laughs> so so there is a few things obviously that we have already shared with the community about how we're going to be approaching this uh, with this quarterly model. Uh, obviously we don't want to give everything away yet and things are still a bit dynamic. But if we're looking at what does the rest of the year look like? We've already announced towards end of year, we're going to have a technical test, actually with the landowners, which is exactly for that purpose of figuring out what if we get you know a few thousand people into this world and into this technology right are we sure it's running on everyone's browser as well right maybe some people have some exotic browsers exotic hardware we want to figure that out how are the servers going to respond to massive loads of people all in one place we want to make sure we double check that yes of course you know we've run literally at some point thousands of bots running through it but you'll always find that You know, when you replace those bots with real life human players that they'll figure something out to mess with your beautifully designed, scalable netcode stack. So we'd much rather find out about that early than on launch day. So that's really just going to be about testing some of the core technology. And then early 2022, let's say in the first half of 2022, Our aim is to start unveiling the capital of Solarwood and some of the baseline gameplay around that. And then we're just going to expand throughout the year, allowing people to explore more and more of Solarwood, giving these landowners access to their land, rolling out different skills and gameplay functionalities in an iterative manner because there is so many to be rolled out and then presumably 2023 and onward we'll start introducing more nations into the game sort of just building out taking the time that's needed to make these areas engaging fun interesting uh, rather than let's say trying to rush out everything because if you look at the size of the world of
0: embersword Solo with Alone is already an epic adventure. Mm -hmm. That is, wow. You, again, doing my job for me, giving me those sound clips. Uh, Excellent. Well, this is uh, pretty much all I wanted to cover on this episode of the podcast. Of course, game production is a massive topic and we didn't even go into the specifics of just the various minutiae of everything we do, which in of itself is very interesting. So I can envision that there might be a sequel to this episode coming at some point in the future. So, I would like to thank my guests for participating. I would like to thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, you. You made it to the end. Congratulations! That must mean you like us enough to want more, right? Well, good news! We're all over the internet. Go to embersword.com and subscribe to our newsletter for a chance to play the game early, as well as the latest interesting tidbits on the game and the team. Join our lovely Discord community over at discord.gg embersword. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Play Embersword, for regular updates on what we're up to. And remember the basics. Drink water, be kind to each other, and spread the word about Embersword. Sword. your wireless headset, cool dude. <laughs> yes yes it's very important right must have ranged throughout the entire
2: neighborhood <laughs> i will just at some point i'll be on one of your podcasts i want you to go to the store i want to I lie. will literally just, just go shopping i'll be like like uh would you like anything else with that sir uh no not right now because you know i'm still talking to the community <laughs>
0: <laughs> be a bonus episode lauren's store adventure <clears throat> okay mm-hmm. shopping this- with lauren